welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. Let's pray for you now. Lord, thank you that you speak to us and you speak to us really clearly. And this week, as uh, Neil's been uh, preparing uh, what he believes that you're saying, Lord, we know that you've spoken to him. And I want to pray, Lord, that he would have the words to uh, convey to us exactly what it is that you are saying this morning. Lord, speak through him powerfully, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A bit loud. Okay. There's never enough room up here, is there? It's, I'm really not squashed. Not for you. I need to pace around and get excited. Absolutely. Okay, you may remember the last time that I spoke from the front, I did sword practice. And uh, it was so funny. Afterwards, so many people came up to me and said, we used to do that when I was young. I haven't done that for years. So get your Bibles out there ready. Yeah, exactly. Get your devices at the ready. Okay, let's start. Um, I've kind of want to do two things this morning. I want to start in Joshua and just look at something very quickly and then I want to go to the New Testament and uh, you'll see why there is a link. But let's start with Joshua chapter 4. This is where we are in the story. So we're just going to start reading in Joshua 4. So we're going to do verse 1 to 11 and then 15 to the end. So when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them Take twelve stones from the very place. Um, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he said to them, "Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder." Twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua commanded. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the river, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. Quite how they know they're there to this day is beyond me, but we'll go with it anyway. Uh, The priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed, and when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the ark of the Lord as the people watched. And we jump into verse 15. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the ark of the covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. As soon as the priests carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant came up, Out of the riverbed, their feet were on high ground. The water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The people crossed the Jordan on the 10th of the day of the first month. 
and they camped at Gilgal just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. And Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and you might fear the Lord your God forever. Okay, so they crossed the Jordan River, and Joshua said to the people, I want you to go and get one stone each. He chooses 12, as 12 tribes of Israel, and they build a memorial. They build the stack of 12 stones as a memorial to what God has done. And uh, it got me thinking about memorials and what does that mean for us today? Well, we keep memorials, if you think about it. We do Christmas which is a memorial about when Jesus was born. We do Easter, which is a memorial about when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So we do memorials. And um, what those memorials do, and we do communion sometimes, and what those memorials do is they point us, they remind us of what God has done in the past. And that is exactly what this memorial is for. It is to remind the people what God has done for them. And it also reminds them that they had nothing to do with it. That is really important. Because they can take the glory for themselves as we all can or try to. And God is saying, no, this memorial will remind people that I am Jehovah and I am the one who opened the Jordan River so that you could go across. It was nothing to do with you. It was God. I am the Lord. He says at the end there, all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. Not the children of Israel's hand, the Lord's hand. And he's declaring, I am God. I am Jehovah. I'm the one that opened the Red Sea. I am the one that opened the Jordan. Don't forget it. So, What memorials do you have or what remembrances do you have in your own walk with God? Probably the one that most of us would think about was the day you became a Christian. Now for some people you can actually say it was such a date, such a month, such a year. For other people it may have been a gradual process. I said to Julia, can you remember the day you became a Christian. She can't remember the day, but she knows the month. I can tell you I became a Christian on the 21st of September, 1969. 60s, can you believe it? But for many of us, that's really important. And I'm sure, I know when, I, when my grand died, I, um, she asked me before she died if I would speak at her funeral, and I said I would. And I got her Bible, and in the front of her Bible was the day she'd become a Christian. And I spoke on that subject about that, how special that day was at her funeral. And for many of you, you'll have that date somewhere. That is 
a memorial. It's, it's a reminder to us of what God did. He came and he changed you in a moment. He came and the light of God opened your eyes. He changed you and brought you into his kingdom. Perhaps it was when you were baptized. You know, when we baptize people here, we normally give them a card or a Bible or something as a reminder to what God has done. Maybe as you think back and you remember what God has done, it's the day you were baptized. Perhaps it's when you were baptized in the Spirit. I can remember that I got prayed for at Capel Bible Week, which probably doesn't even exist anymore. But um, I got prayed for by Bryn Jones, and I received the Holy Spirit. And when I got home that night, I knocked on the front door, and my dad opened the door, and he said to me, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I said, how do you know? And he said, because you are shining. And the only thing I can visualize is, do you remember the Ready Breck advert where the guy eats his breakfast and he has his Ready Breck and he has this kind of little red halo around him? That's what, that's what God does. He comes and he fills you with his spirit and suddenly you are changed. You are shining. You are full of God's Holy Spirit. And my dad said, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew what God has done. You remember the day you were filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, the day after I got filled with the Spirit, we used to go and pick my nan up in the morning and uh, we drove her back to our house and she said, I don't think I'm going to go to church this morning because I've got a really bad headache. And I said, straight away, I'll pray for you. Laid hands on her, the headache went and she came to church. I wish I was that bold now. But when you're filled with the Spirit, when God's Spirit is in you, you are there straight away. There's no question about, oh yeah, don't worry, stay at home, your head will be all right, it'll be good for you to stay at home. No, hold on a minute, God is our healer. He wants you to be at church with his people, he wants you to come and worship, just as we came together and worship God this morning. That is God's heart. He is our healer. Let's be bold and step out with him. Maybe it's something you remember the first time you came to the front with a picture or a word or a, a piece of scripture and you can remember that day I came to the front and I was absolutely fear and trembling. my heart was going boom 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 you know like Tom and Jerry cartoons boom, 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 boom. that's what it feels like when you come to the front I'm really encouraging you aren't I <laughs> and you, your hands are all sweaty and you but maybe you remember the first time God spoke to you First time God gave you a vision, a lovely vision we had this morning, Julia's lovely word. God comes and he, he says to us, remember these things. They're really, really important. Maybe it was the first time you prayed for someone and they got healed. God's speaking to us. These are all memorials. I think that for me, the memorial that I remember more than anything else is the day I became a Christian. And I'm guessing that's probably true for most of us. God comes and suddenly he reveals truth to us in a way that is almost unexplainable. And it's that that I want to look at today. What happens when we become a Christian? Now the reason I want to do that is this. I had the joy this week of going to, uh, to court. I know what you're thinking. He's been speeding again. <laughs> but no, you're wrong. No, I had the privilege of going to an adoption 
ceremony at court this week. I'd never done it before. And it was absolutely wonderful. And I'll tell you why it was wonderful. This is what the judge said, or the magistrate. He said, it gives me great pleasure to give you this adoption certificate today. And you are adopted. And it gives me great joy. Now, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because that is what God says to each one of you. We're going to look at the scripture in a minute. He actually says, it gives me great joy to adopt you into my family. And as this magistrate said those words, I just thought, my goodness, this is just a picture of what God has done for us. And the memorial is that the certificate of adoption is signed by the magistrate and handed over to the parents and the child. And that's just an amazing picture of what God has done for us. The certificate of adoption is the memorial. They will remember that forever. But it even got better than that. And the problem is if, you're a, if, you, if you preach... When you go into situations, I was thinking there's a sermon in here. <laughs> and I think I said it to somebody. I think I said it to you, didn't I? Maybe, maybe it was someone else. I can't remember. But um, what happened was that the magistrates sit up. They're on this raised bit at the top. So there's three magistrates. And the public sit up downstairs kind of thing. And they're up there. Okay, and they're making their declarations and their decrees and everything. And you are not allowed into that area because that's where the magistrates sit. You have to sit down the bottom. And the magistrate at one point said, this is a joyful occasion. I want us to all enjoy it. And he actually went and opened the door to this little bit. You go up the stairs and he said, come in and sit up the top with me. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. So we all went up on the top and he had a teddy for the child and uh, it was just a, an amazingly joyful experience. It was wonderful. We were all up the top, we were having pictures done, children were running around, there was no formality, there was no legality apart from the first bit. There was nothing, it was freedom. And in that moment I thought, you know God, this is what you have done for us. You have opened the door and you have said you're adopted into my family. And with that comes joy. With that comes the re absolute reverse of legality. With it comes freedom. And so I want to look at a little bit this morning just about what it means to be adopted into God's family because that is what he has done. And I just pray that this will capture your hearts and your imagination, because it did for me that morning. It was just wonderful. It was a great occasion. I was so honoured to be there. So looking at adoption under Roman law, an adopted child is guaranteed all the legal rights to his father's property, even if he was a slave before. 
And this is the transformation, that you could have been a slave, you could be adopted into a Roman family, and that change is huge. It's massive. That's the change that God has done in our hearts and lives. You are not a second-class son if you are adopted under Roman law. You have exactly the same rights as a natural son or daughter, biological or adopted. All your debts that you had before are paid. You are set free. <laughs> oh, I love this. Hallelujah. Are all your debts paid this morning? You set free this morning? You might know it in your head, but does it actually get down to your heart? When the enemy comes and says, you still owe God, you're not good enough, what do you say to him? Do you know what you need to say to him? I've been adopted in God's family. All my debts are paid through Jesus Christ. You stand free this morning, not as a second-class citizen, as his son and his daughter. Hallelujah. This is the truth. Do you know that in Roman times, seven people had to witness an adoption? So seven people witnessed the adoption to make sure it was legal. And then afterwards, if anyone came and said, that adoption is not right, this person isn't this guy's son, he he shouldn't have this, he shouldn't have that, he's not part of this family, there were seven people that could come and say, no, I was there, it was legally done, I signed my name on this bit of paper. Brilliant. Do you know what God says? He says, my Holy Spirit witnesses that you are adopted into my God's family. The Holy Spirit is your witness. You don't need seven. You've got three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit witnesses that you are saved. He witnesses that you've been adopted into God's family, that you are his son and his daughter by right. Hallelujah. I just love this. It's so good. Okay. Rather than me talking, let's look at some scripture. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is such a brilliant chapter. Honestly. (laughs) It's great. Go home and read it. It will bless you. I can guarantee it. (laughs) Verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. When you were adopted into God's family, it gave God great pleasure. Tell the enemy that when he attacks you. 
When he says you're not good enough, when he says you've had a terrible week and how can you go to group this week and how can you pray and how can you give anything to anybody else? You're not good enough to look after yourself. You have to come against him and you have to say the truth, which is that God took pleasure when he adopted me into his family. It gave him not just a little bit of pleasure, it gave him great pleasure. The words that Paul uses are really important. It's the difference between chocolate cake and rich chocolate cake. (laughs) That's the difference. We'll get to that bit later. But when you got adopted into God's family, when you were saved, it gave him great pleasure. Hallelujah. It gave him great pleasure. So we praise God. For the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. To be honest, we could have read the whole of Ephesians chapter 1 because it is just wonderful. Talking about what God has done, the change that he has made in our lives by us being adopted into God's family. Hallelujah. Okay, Galatians. Chapter 4, verse 5 to 7. Well, we start at verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves in the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We're no longer slaves. We're in relationship with God. This is a massive change. A slave had no relationship with his owner. He just did as he was told. And if you come from slavery and you're adopted into a family, suddenly you now can call the father of that house. You can call him daddy. It's personal. You don't even have to call him by his name. This is an intimate relationship. This is the change that God has done in our lives. He took us when we were no people, the Bible says. Now we're the people of God. Now we're part of God's family. He adopts us into his family. He says, now you call me dad. There's an intimacy there that has not been there before. You are now in relationship with Father God. All the rights that you didn't have before as a slave, now you have. You have access. That door is open. You can go in. And so often we stand on the outside and we don't come into God's presence because we don't think we're good enough. And you have access. Boldly, it says, boldly come to his throne. How many of us don't come boldly? How many of us stand on the outside looking in? You don't have to. You have every right 
to come in. So when we're at home and Hannah comes home from school, starving, hungry and hangry, she comes into the house. She doesn't have to stop at the door and say, can I go into the kitchen and make myself some toast? No. Now, if it was the postman, a different matter. The postman can't just walk into the house, go and put some toast in the toaster and make himself some toast. Unless he's Vanessa's postman, of course. (laughs) Sorry, that's a house group joke. But the whole point, what's the difference? Well, the difference is I don't have any relationship with the postman. I say hello to him. There's no way he's going to have access into my house to go and put his thing in the toaster. But Hannah, it's different. She's our daughter. She comes in. She has every right to go in the kitchen, raid the fridge, put the toaster on, do whatever she wants. Why? Because she's our daughter. And God says, you're my sons and your daughters. You have access into my presence. You have freedom. He loves you. He loves you. Just as we love our daughter, we want the best for her. So he says, so I love you. You have access. You have rights. You can come in. And so often, we stand on the outside. And the enemy would always have you standing on the outside. You have to recognize that. He would always have you stay at home. He would always have you not have fellowship with your brothers and sisters. He would always have you not worshipping. Always. Because he is trying constantly to stop your relationship with God. And that intimacy and that worship. That's his whole raison d'etre is to stop you. We need to recognise that. So when you feel tired and you don't feel like going to group, Go. When you're tired and you don't really want to come to church on a Sunday, come. And God will meet with you. So many times I've gone to group absolutely tired, worn out, exhausted. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be leading this group. (laughs) How can I lead it if I can't even... I don't want to go myself. But you go. Just like Julia said, you make... The effort, and as you do, God comes and meets with you in such a tremendous way. God will give you what you need in any situation. When you think you've got nothing, God actually quite likes that because then he can come and give you everything. When I think I can lead a group and I don't need you, Lord, that's when I'm in trouble. When I come and say, I've got nothing, he says, don't worry, I've got everything. I've got everything you need. All my needs are met in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Not some, all. All my needs are met in Christ Jesus. Okay, last scripture, Romans chapter 5. This is what we were talking about a little bit earlier on. Sorry, not Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 8. Beg your pardon. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. So, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. 
Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. He is our witness. His spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That is really important. The next time the enemy comes and says to you, you're not even saved, which he will do, you come against him with this scripture. Call on the Holy Spirit and he will affirm that you are saved. Remember, he is a liar from the beginning. And what you have to do with liars is bring truth. And the truth is in here. Come against him with the scripture. The spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Hallelujah. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. The Holy Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. This is really important. Adoptive parents know, I read this at the, uh, the court, there was a little leaflet. It said, adoptive parents know what it's like to take responsibility for a child with a troubled past and an uncertain future. Ring any bells? You got a troubled past? You got an uncertain future? Come and be adopted into God's family. He deals with all that. Hallelujah. The, the leaflet went on to say what they would give to the child was a security, love, affection, and a future. It wasn't negative, but it was just those words that struck me. This is what God has done for us. Knowing full well that we were sinners, what it would cost to put that right, God sought you out. He found you. Whatever day it was, he found you. He paid the price for your freedom by his death. He took you home. He's given you his family name and the right to call him father. He writes your future by writing you into his will. You are joint heirs with Christ. That's what the word says. Adoption is not something that you earn. It's a gift you receive. And that's really important. People think, I need to earn my way into God's kingdom. He says, no, no, no. You can't earn your way into God's kingdom. Actually, the Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. So spiritually, we're dead to God. When you're dead, you can't do anything. You're not climbing out of anywhere. But Christ comes and makes you alive. Hallelujah. What a transformation. It's not something you earn. It's a gift you received. You don't earn the spirit of adoption. You receive it by faith. You can't earn it by being better and you can't lose it through your poor performance. 
You can't be unadopted. It is good, isn't it? You can't be unadopted. The enemy will tell you you can be. Oh, you've been so bad. God has given up on you this week. You are useless. Call yourself an elder. Ha! Are you joking? Call yourself whatever. Call yourself a Christian. The enemy will constantly attack. And we need the truth of the word of God to come against him. That's so important. So many people, as we pray for people at the front, they come to us and they say things. You say, well, that's a lie. Why are you believing that? And I know what it's like because the enemy does the same thing to me. I have to constantly come against his lies because he's constantly trying to put a wedge between me and Father God. That I don't deserve to be part of God's family. That I'm not good enough. That I'm going to let God down next week and do you think he's still going to have you back? You have to come against all those things and say, no, I'm adopted in God's family. My debt has been paid. I'm now a son and a daughter of the king. Hallelujah. Your standing this morning, if you're a Christian, is that you've been adopted into God's family as a son or a daughter of the king. Your old life is gone. It has no bearing on your new life. You are a new creation in Christ. That's what the Bible says. You are a new creation in Christ. Your debt has been paid in full. You have been found not guilty. You have been justified because God has, Jesus has taken the guilt on his shoulders. You are free. You are no longer a slave to sin or to the enemy. You're a son and a daughter. You have all the access to the family that you need. You're not a second-class citizen. You are heirs with Christ in all that God has for you in the future, including eternal life with God forevermore. The Holy Spirit acts as your witness that you've been adopted into God's family and no one can change or challenge that. When we doubt, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you again, and he will. That's what the Bible says. Okay, to finish, let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 11. I'm just going to read Well, let's read from verse 6. So good, Romans chapter 5. Keep going backwards. I'll start at verse 1. No, we'll start at verse 6. Here we go. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. 
underline that scripture in your Bible. Put it on your fridge. Stick it somewhere in your house. And when the enemy comes and tells you you're not good enough, come against him and declare, God has made me, Jesus has made me a friend of God. That's what you are. You may not think it, you may not feel it, but actually that's the truth. You're in his family, he's adopted you. It gave him great pleasure when you became a Christian, whatever day it was. It was last week, 20 years ago. doesn't matter. It gave God great pleasure and continues to give him great pleasure that you're in his family. Hallelujah. Friends of God. So are you God's friend this morning? That's the challenge. Are you adopted into God's family? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal saviour? These are important questions. Because an invitation is there from God to say, come into my family. I want you to know me. I want you to have relationship with me as Father God. I want to love you and give you everything that Jesus died for on the cross. Okay. Amen.